Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Paulette. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to begin in Philippians 2 and be moving to different places this morning. As I mentioned last Sunday, we're doing a study here on Christ. If there's any particular study that we must truly understand and understand rightly, it is the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we were looking at the incarnation of Jesus, how it is that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, from all eternity, became a part of mankind, and how that is so important in his work and what it is that he came to do here on this earth. And today, we want to look at the crucifixion of Jesus. If you stop and you think about the cross, for many people today, when they think about the cross, they think of something just as trivial as it just being a decoration, just something to hang up on a wall in their house or maybe even at their business, something to wear a cross, and that's all that they think about when they think about and see a cross. Or the way Hollywood tends to promote and to uh, put forward the cross is they put it forth as a magical emblem, something that can just ward off evil spirits. But I hope for us as believers that we understand more deeply what the cross is, especially when we're thinking about the cross of Christ, Jesus' crucifixion. And so this morning, I want us to take some time to look in depth at the crucifixion and see the significance of the crucifixion or see the meaning of the crucifixion. And I want to give you some key words for you to, to hang your thoughts on when you think about the crucifixion so that as a believer, it can move you into deeper love for Christ, greater worship of Christ, but also this will even help you into evangelizing the lost, that when you want to talk to someone about Jesus and you want to talk to them about the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, these are some words that you can remember to help you to explain really what the crucifixion was about. Now understand, when we think about the cross of Christ, we are explicitly told in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we are told by the Apostle Paul that the message of the cross, the word of the cross, is what we're to preach. So we're going to preach Jesus' death on the cross, knowing, as the Apostle Paul says also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that this message that we are preaching, to some people, they're going to stumble over it. Others are going to see it as foolishness. But for those who are being saved by it, it is the power of God unto salvation. So we want to understand the cross of Christ. And so this morning, let me give you the four words that I want you to, to hang your thoughts on when you think about the cross of Jesus. The first one is submission. When you think about Jesus on the cross, I want you to think about submission. Secondly, I want to want you to think about satisfaction. When you think about Jesus on the cross, I want you to think about satisfaction. Thirdly, I want you to think about substitution. Jesus on the cross, your thoughts need to understand the idea of substitution. 
And then finally, as Jesus is on the cross, I want you to consider salvation. So we have submission, satisfaction, substitution, and salvation. Let's look, first of all, if you turn in your Bible there to Philippians, look at Philippians chapter 2. We're still in this passage. We're, we're speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ becoming a man. But we find here, when you look at verse 8 this morning, we find that when you think about the cross, you need to think about the idea of submission. Submission. We're told in verse 8 of Philippians 2 that Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' going to the cross was an act of submission, an act of submission to the will of the Father, which is amazing when you think about what we discussed last week together when we looked there in verse 5 and verse 6 and we saw that Jesus was equal with God the Father. And though he was equal with God the Father and he was in the form of God, he was willing to become something to veil his glory, to veil his deity, not void it out, but to veil it and not that is, he took on flesh. But in taking on flesh and being in the appearance as a man, he was submitting himself to the will of his Father. He says there, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when you think about his death, and his death was on a cross. Paul here is helping them to see and to be reminded of the shamefulness that came in the death of Jesus. Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just die of natural causes. And he didn't just, he didn't just die like any other person. Jesus died the most shameful death that anyone can die of that time. He died on a cross. See, Jesus died to the point of death, but not just death, but death on a cross. He was willing to be put to death on a cross. He was willing to take upon himself the shame of public humiliation for all the world to see. And think about this, not just for all the world to see of that day, but for all the world to read about and to know about going forward. Think about all the people who know how Jesus died and that he died this shameful death on a cross. Beloved, this act of submission of going to the cross was just one more act of obedience that Jesus was doing since his arrival here. That is all through his life, Jesus did the will of his heavenly Father and he did it perfectly. That's why when we look at the baptism of Jesus, what do we see? The Father testifying about his Son that he was well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, there's no one else that God the Father could say that about. He couldn't say that about me, and he couldn't say that about you. He couldn't say that about anyone else who's ever walked the face of the earth. The only person he could look down on while they were still living here on this earth, standing on their own, and how they lived their life and say, in that person I am well pleased, was no one else except Jesus Christ, because Jesus lived perfectly under the law of God. He lived perfectly under the will of God. He always obeyed his father. 
You see, for us, when God looks at our life, as we stand on our own, it is a stench in his nostrils because all of our life is tarnished by sin. Even our good deeds that we do on our own for others are stained with sin, but not with Christ. Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God, and he was known as the spotless Lamb of God even before the foundation of the world because this was the plan that God had designed before the foundation of the world, which means, beloved, Jesus, in coming to do this mission, he volunteered for this mission. And not only did he volunteer for this mission, but when you read there in verse 8 that he was walking obedience to his Father to the point of death, even death on the cross, please see in that that Jesus willingly laid his life down. The Romans didn't take it. The Jews didn't take it. No one took his life. Jesus laid his life down. It was an act of submission. So when you're thinking about the cross... I want you to think about submission. Jesus was submitting to the salvific plan that had been designed before the foundation of the world. Jesus was submitting to the will of his Father. He stumbled at no point in the law. He stumbled at no point in following the will of his Father. He lived in perfect submission, even to the point of death here, death on a cross. Beloved, when you think about the cross, I don't want you just to think about submission. I want you to also think about satisfaction. Satisfaction. As you continue on reading here in Philippians 2, notice it says there in verse 9, for this reason also. For what reason? Because Jesus came and submitted to the will of his Father even to the point of death on a cross. For that reason also, it says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. I wanted to read that verse to you because I want you to see that for God to highly exalt Jesus because of his his willingness to obey to the point of death, even death on the cross, what that implies is, is that his death on the cross was something that God, the Father, was satisfied with. He was satisfied with what Jesus did. He was satisfied with what he accomplished on the cross. Satisfaction. This is a very important term to understand when we're thinking about God and we're thinking about Christ on the cross because God the Father, who is holy, who is just, who is righteous, and yet forgives sinners and declares sinners right with Him, He does that in adopting them as His children. For Him to do that, His holy and just wrath has to be satisfied. It has to be satisfied to his satisfaction, not to my satisfaction, not to your satisfaction, but to his satisfaction. And it was satisfied in Jesus. He was satisfied with his life, and he was satisfied with his death on the cross. Again, beloved, for us to truly understand, for you to truly understand this, this is so critical. This is where so many people 
who even identify in some form or fashion, in some way, with Christianity, try to identify with Christianity, this is where often they get it wrong. Because they think they can understand about the person of Jesus that this is God and this is man, fully God, fully man, here on this earth as we talked about last Sunday. But where they get it wrong is on this idea that what Jesus did fully satisfied God the Father. And how they get it wrong is they say that the cross of Christ and his work on the cross and his life that he lived were not enough. You may have to put your faith in that, but you need something more than that. That's why some would say that you you need to, to even suffer more after death in order to have all of your sins forgiven and cleansed. But that's not true. That's why some would even say that Jesus had to go to hell himself after he died and other to suffer more. But that's not true. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God when he was hanging there on that cross, when he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it is there that God is pouring out the full fury of his wrath upon his son. It is there that Jesus, who knew no sin, is becoming sin. It's where God is pouring it out upon him. At the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. There's no other way. And just to help us see this and understand this, uh, think about this. Go wherever you have your Bible. Look with me for a moment in the book of Romans. And look in Romans chapter 3. We're all probably familiar with Romans 3.23. All has sinned and falls short of the glory of the Lord, the glory of God. But read on, it says, being justified as a gift by his grace of the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly, and here's the key word, as a propitiation. That's the word for Satisfaction. And it wasn't that the devil needed to be satisfied. It was that the Father, God the Father, needed to be satisfied. He needed someone to stand in our place, as we're going to see in a moment, and to be the propitiation, to be the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. And that's what Jesus was, and that's what he is. Publicly displayed as a propitiation in his blood through faith. It is through the propitiation of Christ. If you will, for a moment, look over in uh, uh, look over in First John for a moment. In First John chapter two, in First John chapter two and verse one, the Apostle John writes, "My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself." Notice, he himself personally is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for all those of the whole world. Jesus is the satisfaction for sin. For anyone and everyone in this world who will put their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, what he did on the cross satisfies the Father. There's no other way. There's no other path to God except through Christ. Look over at 1 John chapter 4. 
And in verse 10, we're told, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be, there's that word again, the propitiation for our sins. The Father knew that there's no other way that He was going to be satisfied, and the Son knew there was no other way that the Father was going to be satisfied unless He was willing to come, take on flesh, and be the propitiation for our sins. This is explicitly what we're told over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, we're, we're told, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was on the cross satisfying the wrath of God. And he did satisfy him because as we see here, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above all other names. So brother, when God looks at the cross, when the Father looks at the cross, understand he is satisfied. And this is essential for you to see when you look at the cross yourself, that God's wrath for sins is satisfied only there at the cross. Thus you have to put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Christ. In Christ alone. Not thinking you have to do anything else. It's not Christ plus baptism. It's not Christ believing in Christ and the work of Christ plus something else. It's in Christ and Christ alone. That's why we teach that. That's why we believe that. That's why we stand for that. That a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because if it's not Christ alone, then what Jesus did on the cross didn't satisfy the Father fully, but it did. And you can put your faith in Christ. So satisfaction. When you look at the cross, think about submission. Think about satisfaction. But also, beloved, think about the idea of substitution. Substitution. We've seen this idea already in some verses we've already read. He was the propitiation for the sins of the people. God sent him to be the propitiation for our sins. When you see those phrases there, for our sins, for our people, for the people, that's telling you Jesus was and is the substitution. In fact, I want you to join me for just a moment over in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Go over to Isaiah chapter 53 for just a moment. In Isaiah chapter 53. I just want to pick it up. I'll pick it up reading verse 2. This is talking about Jesus. He's the suffering servant here in this passage. It says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely, notice it says, our griefs he himself bore. 
and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Please read that carefully and think about what it's saying. He's saying it was our griefs, our sorrows, our afflictions, our transgressions, our iniquities, our well-being, all of this. Jesus was the substitute. He stepped in for us. He came and took on flesh so that he could taste death for us. You see, God provided a substitute payment for our sins. And that was none other than his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he's trying to help the church at Corinth that's dealing with um, disunity because some are saying I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos and, and they're just throwing out all these names and the people that they're uh, wanting to support and to stand with and Paul just reminds them he says has Christ been divided? He says has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you was he? That is no, Jesus was. Jesus was crucified for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, where we're told that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, and here's the key phrase, on our behalf. He did this on our behalf. He's standing in for us, the one who never sinned, the one who never knew sin, the one who never committed sin, whether outwardly or inwardly, the one who never, ever failed to follow the law and the will of God was willing to take on our sins on our behalf. No one else qualifies to be the substitute except Jesus alone. That's why there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is a must. And it is Jesus alone. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through him because he is the satisfaction. He is the substitution. He alone. So for anyone here this morning who is able to understand what I'm saying, please understand that means there are no exemptions. There are no exceptions to this truth. That only through Christ and Christ alone as the substitute, as the satisfaction, can you have salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. We think about this idea of substitution. I'm reminded of the testimony of Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher of days gone by. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, I have always considered that the sum and substance of the gospel lies in that word substitution. Christ standing in the stead of man. If I understand the gospel, it is this. I deserve to be lost forever. Don't let that go by. He's saying, I deserve 
if I get what I deserve, I deserve to be lost forever. And the only reason why I should not be damned is that Christ was punished in my stead. And there is no need to execute a sentence twice for sin. On the other hand, I know I cannot enter heaven unless I have a perfect righteousness. And I am absolutely certain I shall never have one of my own. For I find I sin every day. But then Christ had a perfect righteousness. And here's what he said. There, poor sinner, take my garment and put it on. You shall stand before God as if you were Christ. And I will stand before God as if I had been the sinner. I will suffer in the sinner's stead. And you shall be rewarded for the works which you did not do, but which I did for you. You see, beloved, that's how God accepts us. That's how God can look down at me and look down at you, a sinner. As I said a moment ago, I said, if you're standing here and sitting here on your own, trying to sit before God and stand before God, please understand, if that's all you're doing, God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I am not pleased. But if you have put your faith in Christ... If you truly repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, though you're still a sinner, he declares you righteous and he is pleased with you, not because of anything you have done or ever will do, but all because of what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. He went and lived what you needed to live and he died for your sins and paid for your sins, so put your faith in him. Put your faith in Christ alone. This is what Spurgeon was sharing when he was thinking about his, his testimony. His testimony before the Lord. Substitution. When you think about the cross, I want you to think about substitution, satisfaction, submission. But one other obvious thought you should have when you see the cross of Christ and you think about the cross and it should be the idea of salvation. Being saved from sin, being saved from hell, being saved from God's eternal wrath. Your only hope of salvation for any of this is the cross. It's all because of what we just got through talking about because Jesus is the satisfaction Jesus is the substitution. Jesus is willing there to submit to the will of the Father. When Jesus was on the cross, it tells us over in the book of Colossians, in Colossians 1.20, it tells us there that we have peace with God through the blood of his cross. You want peace with God? You want salvation? You want reconciliation with God? It only comes through the blood of the cross. The Bible also tells us over Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 that the hostility of the decrees of the certificate of sin debt that God has against you, it was nailed to the cross. This is the only place you're going to find it. The only place you're going to find salvation is by looking at the cross. Looking at the cross. So as believers, beloved, our job, our responsibility is to hold Jesus up for all the world to see by living for him, 
by proclaiming his name to them and by telling them there is salvation in him, but that salvation is in him alone. And all are in need of salvation. All are sinners. God is holy. God is just. You need to be reconciled to God. And that's only through his son, Jesus Christ. It's only through the cross of Christ. We hold him up. The Spirit of God work in hearts, convicting, convincing, drawing, working in their hearts. As I said, knowing sometimes, sadly, when people hear this message of the cross that we're talking about, that we've been looking at this morning, they're going to hear that and it's going to be something they stumble over. They just can't accept that. They just can't accept that it's only through Jesus. Or it just sounds foolish to them. That God would only go through one person in only one way, and it was through Jesus Christ alone. But Lord, but beloved, understand some will put their faith. Some will look at him, and they'll look at him with a believing heart of trust. And I want to ask you this morning, as we're just kind of wrapping this up together, have you looked at the cross? Have you truly looked at it with saving eyes, putting your faith fully and totally in Jesus Christ? Let me share again a moment with you from the testimony again of Charles Spurgeon. Listen to what he says. He says, quote, In my conversion, the very point lay in making the discovery that I had nothing to do but to look to Christ and I should be saved. I believe that I have been very good, an attentive hearer, my own impression about myself was that nobody ever listened much better than I did. For years, as a child, I tried to learn the way of salvation, and either I did not hear it set forth, which I think cannot quite have been the case, or else I was spiritually blind and deaf and could not see it and could not hear it. But the good news that I was, as a sinner, to look away from myself and look to Christ as much startled me and came as fresh to me as any news I have ever heard in my life. Had I never read my Bible? Yes, I had read it earnestly. Had I never been taught by Christian people? Yes, I had by my mother and my father and others. Had I not heard the gospel? Yes. But yet this came to me like a new revelation that I was to believe and live. Simply by looking to Jesus, I had been delivered from despair and I was brought into such a joyous state of mind. By looking to Him, I received all the faith which inspired me with confidence in His grace. And the word that first drew my soul, look unto me, still rings its clarion note in my ears. There I was once I once found conversion, and there I shall ever find refreshing renewal. Brother, what he's saying there is this, that all that Jesus did will be yours if you will look to him. Look to him as the one that was lifted up for you. Look to him as your only hope for redemption, for forgiveness, for salvation, for reconciliation with God. Look. You have to look at Him. And don't be ashamed of the cross. And don't be ashamed of Jesus. But be ashamed of your sins. Be ashamed of your rebellion against a loving God. 
See your, his suffering for your shame. See him suffering for your guilt. See him suffering for your sins on the cross. Look at the cross. Look at it, I tell you. On the cross, it is Jesus that is becoming a curse for you so that you can be delivered from the curse of sin. Look. Look at him. Everyone needs to look. Everyone must look in order to be saved. As Isaiah 45, 22 tells us, it says there, God speaking, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. So beloved, I beg you this morning, whether you're young or old, look to the cross. Whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl here this morning, look to the cross. Whether you're a religious, church-going person, you need to look to the cross. Whether you're sitting here this morning and you're a hypocrite before God, you can look to the cross. Whether you're the prodigal that has rebelled against God, rebelled against everything that you grew up knowing and understanding, if you have done that and you're the publican or you're the prodigal, the good news is just look to the cross. But if you're here this morning as the self-righteous Pharisee, trusting in your own works and your own person, and all your good deeds or your religious activities, if that's who you are, you need to look to the cross. If you're here even as a criminal, look to the cross. If you're a rich man or a poor man or if you're an educated person or an uneducated person or you're a workman, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. Look to the cross. Jesus is the propitiation for your sins and no one else is. So that means you have to look away from yourself totally. Look for nothing in yourself. Look for nothing that you do. Don't look at any prayer. Don't look at any of your prayers. Don't look at any of your Bible reading. Don't look at any of your vacation Bible schooling. Don't look at anything else. Don't look at your church attendance. Don't look at your church membership. Don't look at anything you do. Look only to Jesus Christ because He's the satisfaction. He's the substitution. He's the salvation. He and He alone. Look, look, and you will be saved, and you will have peace, and you will have redemption. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.